0: Rational discussion, common sense, open debate. RCR, Reality Check Radio with Paul Brennan. Here on Reality Check Radio, you've heard us talk about uh, ideas of uh, creating parallel institutions, maybe a parallel health system, maybe a parallel everything system. And people have been sharing ideas on that. So we want to kind of talk about that right now here on RCR Breakfast. I want to welcome Dr. Anna Goodwin to the program. Dr. Goodwin, welcome. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for your invitation, Paul. It's really a pleasure to be here on RCR.
0: Well, thank you for that. Now, I want to range over a few things that you've been involved in, but I want to start with this idea of parallel institutions. If the legacy institutions are not fit for purpose, can't be trusted, have someone else's interest at heart rather than the citizen, then it's the sensible thing to do, isn't it?
1: It would seem to be a, a duty, as well as a, a sensible thing.
0: Yeah, more um, of a it, more the a duty. Yeah, yeah.
1: And as um, a healthcare advocate, um, I have a fiduciary obligation and responsibility to the patients that I serve. And I think when we reflect back on the last three years, we we spent an astronomical sum on a single entity that on reflection, it has a very small mortality rate, a case fatality rate that does at the end of the day, after all the dust has settled is not substantially different than what we had said from the beginning, that it approximated that of the seasonal influenza virus. And so we find ourselves having spent this astronomical sum, and ignoring cancer, heart disease, hip replacements, all of these other needful services of the healthcare system for a matter of three years. And we, we caused a tremendous amount of stress for people who were unable to get services when they needed them because of the COVID response. And then we have this empty SOP because in the end, after the lockdowns, the mandates, all of the other things that happened here, we really weren't any better off than anywhere else on the planet. In fact, it's been well known by anyone who has studied public health and infectious disease that the time to vaccinate for such a thing is absolutely not during the pandemic. It basically accelerates the mutation of whatever is going on. So that's exactly what we saw from this. That's
0: spiritual. been known for decades, right? That's been absolutely. known. Absolutely. It's,
1: been, it's yeah. been known for decades. This yeah. this was absolutely completely inappropriate as a pandemic response. Um, and, and, and importantly, there were, at the time of the vaccine rollout, by the time it got around to coming to New Zealand, we knew that vitamin D reduced the risk of, Dying of COVID or getting serious illness by a magnitude of about 14-fold. We knew Likes. that that only you know the vulnerable were truly at risk, such as people that had obesity, hypertension, and diabetes. It was not an equivalent risk across the population. The risk of a child dying of COVID-19 was minuscule. Same with almost everyone under 60. They strained to show any benefit at all for the, the messenger RNA inoculation. And the small amount of benefit that was shown was actually in the population over 60, but it was never shown even in the Pfizer data to reduce transmission. So we spent a whole lot of money and we, we locked down a population and we destroyed generational wealth. We ended up with an epidemic of loneliness, which is now deemed just as risky as smoking as a health um, problem worldwide, because we, we separated families and friends, people that had known and loved each other for years suddenly couldn't stand each other because of the mass formation event that occurred.
0: Yeah. Did um, you actually think? Just speaking of mass formation, that's an interesting moment. Some people think that that's that's what it is. Others not so sure. Are you leaning towards this is a mass sort of hip- hypnosis situation?
1: I, I I think it it bears all the hallmarks, and uh, I think that's been a lot of people with much more credibility than myself in the mental health field have have weighed in on that, and um, with with the in and and our prime minister even admitted that she was going to continue the propaganda. Um, you know, she admitted that it was propaganda and we're going to keep repeating it and we will be your single source of truth. So, you know, there are people that either trust the government or began to suspect that the government did not necessarily have their best interest at heart and they were not acting for the public good. Um, even, despite the, the rhetoric. Um, and so we tried for several months to get their attention. Um, I've written letters on my own as well. And certainly as part of NZDSOS, um, we have a, a group of doctors that have been fighting for truth in this space and to you know, basically end the jabs because they're not effective and they're actually being shown to be quite dangerous and we've been in that space for 3 years now and um because of my ties with various hapu in the Waikato and Bay of Plenty um i became involved with um several um sovereign maori groups that have not done their their treaty settlements and so they are not part of the the iwi um that tends to have the the biggest voice in maoridom And they were very, very suspicious uh, about the um, motivations behind this. And some of them identify as so-called hereditary chiefs. So when they learned that this had implications for DNA, they worried that this could possibly change their DNA and possibly make them of some other species species or, or, you know, change their heredity, and, yeah, and that was yeah. quite alarming for them. And I actually did a Official Information Act request of Medsafe and actually asked if they had consulted with Maori, in particular the hereditary chiefs and the Confederation of United Tribes, and they, they did confirm that they did not and did not see any need for that because they denied that this would actually change the DNA.
0: But they didn't know that, or they knew that. Um, it's hard to
1: know what they knew, actually, but well that's that a good knew.
0: question. Can, can I ask you what you think they knew? because this is a perplexing question either they're completely ignorant, dumb, incompetent, to such a level that it's almost unbelievable or that or that it was something else. I tend to go on to something else now, but i what do I know?
1: I, I think that our, our we we have to understand that this was something happening at a global level. And I think our politicians were caught up in the whole global narrative. Um, It's not conspiracy, you know, event 201 happened, it's recorded, they were quite proud of it. Um, it's, It's right there in the public domain. And so they had this rehearsal in October of 2019, And
0: right before the whole thing,
1: before the whole thing, that's (laughs) right, right before event event 201 and the Chinese equivalent of the head of the CDC um, basically had his expertise in bat coronaviruses. And he was there and a few state representatives and globalist individuals were there um, to to basically get the narrative down. And um, so we know from the work of Claude Perez that was published in 2020, um, as soon as the Wuhan um, wet market pneumonitis um, was isolated, um, the, the gene sequences were published online and he raised concerns that this was a man-made construct, March of 2020, because it had HSV-1 and 2 in addition to SARS-1. And he marveled at the rate of evolutionary adaptation to make the um, this more um, more infectious to human beings. So it was clear from his research that an adaptive modification had taken place and he thought it was odd that these, this constellation of gene sequences was present in this isolate. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and then there, it became necessary for various people to, to marry the theory of the bat virus with the um, pangolin. They thought that might be credible because the pangolin actually has strong homology with the, human ACE receptor. Um, it, its ACE receptors are very much like humans. So they had to find a natural way of, yeah. of that that adaptation might have occurred to make it more prone Plausible. to infecting humans. Yeah. So Mr. Bat, meet Mr. Pangolin at the wet market. And, yeah. um,
0: <laughs> and Most unlikely get be, together ever, but there you yeah, go.
1: Exactly. And, and yeah. so there we have this, uh, they, they had to create the narrative that this was natural to basically um take the heat from themselves, but you know this was you know it's it's well established that this was um, work that was originally done at Chapel Hill, North carolina yeah. and um, through the world um, economic Alliance or what eco health Alliance we know that was money yeah. that went to Wuhan and, and Mr. Fauci was, was very much involved. So, but that's, that's probably old hat for your audience. So um,
0: what what I'm trying to, to understand and I'm sure everybody else is, and I'm not asking you for an answer, but at some point you've got to consider that this crosses over from bumbling incompetence, panic, mass formation, psychosis to they want you dead. I
1: think that some in the absolute no might have had that thing. I, I think they just they see us as useless feeders, the global elite. They 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 have no love for humanity, and for them it is all about money and power. And I think we have to understand that this isn't conspiracy. This is just you just look at what they've done. And I think for many people who were lower level bureaucrats, um, perhaps not capable of reading the GAVI agreements or um, not understanding the implications. And and we don't know how much Pfizer disclosed as far as the safety and efficacy. They seem to buy into that wholeheartedly. I I think for most of these governments, it was a business decision, sadly enough. I think they were indifferent to whether this benefited humanity. I think they saw that this was um, going to benefit either themselves personally and I think there should be an inquiry as to you know how much each of these parliamentarians actually were paid, especially those that were serving in the Ministry of Business Innovation and Employment. Yeah, um, I think we need to we we do need to know um, who knew what when. I think that would be a very important thing to understand who is actually culpable here. But I think the what we really also need is 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 how do we keep this from happening again? How do we mm-hmm. restore trust in government, trust in medicine? How do we, re- we create an entity that is actually accountable to the people of this nation? And, you know, and what they're doing now is trying to distract us, I think, with, you know, the issues around the um, pua and getting the white people to think that Maori are going to take their land or getting Maori to think that white people all have white privilege and they don't belong here. And so these very divisive narratives are happening. And I, I think this, this is designed to fragment us as a society and get our thinking off them. This is how the global belief M- direction.
0: They've always
1: they've worked this always, and yeah. um, and if you there's mm. a great documentary Agenda 2030 Unmasked, and it kind of goes into these these ways and means that um, the powers that shouldn't be implement upon us. But as far as the parallel um, mm. universe goes for for healthcare, <laughs> um,
0: yeah, yeah. Know, how do you see that working?
1: I'm going to just speak about my observations and my experience. Um, because we actually started the Wakamaninga Meninga um, Health Council before the Maori Health Authority was established. We, we were established October 28th of 2021. Um, and we moved into that space because we could not get anyone's attention about the importance of maintaining informed consent for this experimental product, Um, presenting actually both sides of, you know, the risk versus the benefits, if there are any, we're obligated to do that. And in fact, you know, I did an official Information Act request and, you know, the Ministry of Health and the government had not suspended the need for informed consent. They just told us we had to speak the narrative of the government in this space, or we would be censored by our respective um, health practitioners' competency and assurance act organization statutory organizations. And we had a number of excellent practitioners who were strong advocates for their community. You know, some of them joined this organization, some of them didn't. Um, Bernard Conlon and Waterpara. I mean, he he. He's done amazing things in his community one of the most respected doctors in New Zealand and they've just given him total grief um and so many people are in this this space who have, have been advocates for um the integrity of medicine for physiologic medicine and actually following the science because the We were led by the science from the beginning. We knew this was an artificial construct. We Mm. knew that vitamin D worked. We knew that ivermectin worked. We knew that hydroxychloroquine worked. We've given all this information to the government and they've ignored it. And they needed to have the emergency use authorization and that would have only been approved in the absence of any effective treatment. And so Mm. that was why they pushed this through. So we felt that it was actually a moral obligation and a fiduciary responsibility to our patients um, to begin an alternate health um, authority. And we recognize the separate jurisdiction of native customary law and Turiti Kanga. We have the dark ages of the Tohunga Suppression Act dating back to 1907, where the government um, basically told, considered Maori to be savages and they weren't allowed to make decisions about their own health care and their own wrong law. And so the, the government has tried to move away from that harsh rhetoric around the 90s, but it, it lasted a surprisingly long time. And we felt that, you know, that it was quite possible that the government was actually going into this space again and and doing something that was quite um shocking and, and, and had surprising parallels to the Tohunga Suppression Act because they did not want Maori to do rongua, um to treat themselves if they had COVID. Um, they wanted Maori to be um, inoculated with an experimental therapy.
0: That was an interesting point you made earlier about, you know, the genetics involved. No consideration for that. That's right no. down to the cellular level
1: absolutely and we uh, do know uh, what, now that that it is does,
0: disrespect that is incredible disrespect
1: oh absolutely and it's it's disrespectful for all people
0: yeah no but
1: but, but in particular you know they have this agreement called Tetriti tiriti o waitangi and um and they had an obligation to consult with with the hereditary chiefs and and hapu not just iwi that that are, you know, on board with them, they Mm. had an obligation to consult with hapu, you know, because they are so, so committed to tikanga. They will tell you that no one person can speak for Maori. Mm. And so I'm speaking here in my own observations. I'm not speaking for Maori and I'm not speaking for tikanga. Although I have a number of hapu that have, you know, informed me of of this. And and so the the hardest thing that we've had when we started this health authority was realizing that there are about 600 or more Hapu in New Zealand and that we had to basically construct this for each one of them because each separate Hapu has its own tikanga and they have their own faunal structures that make that up, and they they decide, and it has to be dialogue with them. And so, we we began the process. We entered into the space in good faith. We wanted to, you know, create the possibility and the the, the dialogue around this of how do we proceed um, respectfully um, in honoring the tikanga of of each hapu, but also forming a template that each hapu could use and they could select what they wanted and didn't want. And so we started down that space and we were very, very clear um, to our practitioners that they were in a separate jurisdiction and that, you know, they had to inform their patients that the patient themselves was in a separate jurisdiction. And of course, this was being, this was in the private sector so patients were actually having to arrange COHA or payment with the practitioner. And so we weren't asking for funding. We we would have liked to have been able to do so, but because we were basically off grid, um, mm-hmm. what happened was the practitioners that were also um under the Health Practitioners Competency and Assurance Act with their regulatory bodies, they began having members of the public, not necessarily patients, make complaints about them. And so ordinarily, unless you're a patient, you don't really have standing to complain about a doctor. But what we saw very interestingly was, you know, when practitioners would write an exemption for the vaccine and show it to their employer or show their mask exemption, um, the employer or someone that worked with them, if they saw this, would then make the complaint. So it sort of circumnavigated the normal process because I've been told when I've complained about somebody that because I wasn't their patient or I wasn't Mm. their client, I wasn't allowed to bring a complaint. So I had no standing. But they bent the rules because they were so keen to get some complaints on the record. Which was very very interesting. So, um,
0: oh dear, outsourcing so we, outsourcing your effort is that that's, that, what that's that is.
1: right. So it wasn't even the the direct consumers, and the direct consumers were very very clear that we were not misrepresenting anything. But um, we do have this case before the High Court presently, so I can't go too much into the specifics on on that. But hmm. you know, suffice it to say, the the Ministry of Health. Um they 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 weren't very appreciative that we had actually taken this upon ourselves to create a separate health sector. How dare you? Know, you? Know, we, How dare we, you? We weren't we weren't taking naughty any money doctors. From the public. We were simply and this was not only for Maori, but it was for everyone. Right. Because our practitioners mm. had Maori and non-Māori clients alike. So so we had to sit in the naughty chair.
0: Yeah.
1: And um and then subsequently, the Maori Health Authority was announced, and this was with consultation with iwi, not with with hapu. I can yeah, I'm hearing I this
0: uh, iwi hapu kind of divide. Sounds like there's something there. One thing I did notice, uh, Doctor Goodwin, was that there's been intense marketing for COVID vaccines still going today, very specifically targeted at Maori, and very um, specifically targeted at. You know it's doing the right thing for your phono and kids. they're really going I guess they're guilting people. I don't know how you describe the strategy now why why they seem to be going stronger on that marketing than anything else. Why do you think that is
1: um i I, I find it very, very disturbing we We do know that Maori are disadvantaged in terms of health equity. We know that they have a higher rate of of diabetes, obesity, hypertension. We know that their cancers are generally found later. So it can be argued that adult Maori, especially if they have chronic illness, are a vulnerable population. What is disturbing, and there's no scientific basis for it, is the targeting of Children and pregnant women. There is no scientific basis whatsoever for targeting those two populations. And in fact, children—it's—it's it's well demonstrated, you know, are much more likely to have an adverse reaction to the the inoculation than from the um, an infection. And we know that when someone is infected with COVID, they have lasting immunity, whereas the um, inoculation um, provides only transient immunity, if, if at all.
0: If at all, yeah. To kind of wind things up with Waka Menenga Kaunahira Haora Health Council, where could this lead? Where could this go? Do you think this could be durable? Uh, and can it survive when, I guess, the establishment it doesn't want well, that
1: the the establishment clearly doesn't want us and they've they've wanted to punish us and censor our our doctors both in the the Inga Health council and in NZDSOS or basically anyone who has challenged the vaccine narrative. I hope that you know it, you know since the mandates were ended um in December. And you know we, we're still waiting for the enthusiasm around the jab to to come to an end. Um, I'm hoping that it can inspire the narrative that has always needed to happen. You know, in essence, the Wakamaninga Health Council is is now moot because mm. you know it was never funded. Um, the people who took that risk of coming into this space to defend health freedom, and bodily sovereignty and in the informed consent process. They've incurred tremendous stress. You know, we went into this space for both Maori and um, non-Maori. Yeah. It was strictly to push back against what we saw happening. And in particular, we, we felt that Maori were being disproportionately targeted. And so, yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, my view is... You know, looking at the Ellis decision and a few things that have happened since our mm-hmm. high court case, the Ellis case, Mr. Ellis was actually non-Maori. Yeah. But um, Justice Glazebrook ruled that um, tikanga, in fact, applied to non-Maori as well. That all people have mana, and and so I think I've found you know the, the role of tikanga to be actually. It applies to. It's more the,
0: of a universal concept, let's say.
1: Correct. It's, it's it applies to the individual. It applies yeah. to the collective. It applies to each separate context. It is open to the interpretation and application of each hapu, but it allows for individual autonomy and and also places the good of the family. And the fauna and the community at its heart as well, you know. I was I was quite moved by one of the Komatua sharing a story about how tikanga had been applied in his family, and and um, quite tragically, um, their grandson was killed and um, by a reckless driver. And the this young woman who was texting or something had or they were in court and um, and his his statement was that, you know, we want this person to be, you know, part of our family rather than he, he basically said, you know, we don't want her to go to jail. We will adopt her. We want her to know not only what this person meant to us, but we also want her to understand and to be loved by our family.
0: That's incredible. That's, Uh, and
1: that, that that's still like, makes me want to cry because yeah. I think there's so many misconceptions, but, but it's more, it, than, forgiveness. That, that's that's more a,
0: than forgiveness. That's it. more
1: than forgiveness. That's unconditional love. And, and that's what we really need to heal our country, to heal our land and to heal our world right now.
0: I think that's a good note to end our chat on. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Dr. It's Anna been, Goodwin.
1: It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Paul. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check
0: Radio.